Hello, I'm Rob, and welcome to this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News for the 22nd of March, 2023. Hello and welcome to the Black Country Talking News, brought to you by the sight loss charity Beacons. We're pleased to confirm that the Talking News is now available via Alexa. Once you've enabled the Talking Newspapers skill, all you need to do is play Talking Newspapers and ask for the Black Country Talking News. Our Talking News service is also available via the free Wireless for the Blind app. It can be found on the Beacon Centre website www.beaconvision.org forward slash talking dash news. As a podcast via services such as Apple or Spotify or as a free CD, simply contact Beacon Centre on 01902 we hope you enjoy this week's edition. Reading this week, we have myself Rob, Christine, Angela, Liz, Helen, Mina, Simon, and of course not forgetting, Flashback Roger. In this week's edition we have Local News of the Black Country, an update from Beacon, our fortnightly bulletin of practical information and sight loss tips, the quiz with Mina, the latest news from Wolves and West Bromwich Albion, a Did You Know section from Flashback Roger, the weather for the week ahead. And we pay a special tribute to a local hero who was one of the last surviving veterans of one of the Second World War's most famous battles, Operation Market Garden. Local news to start though, with Liz, Christine, but first, Helen. Adults in Wolverhampton have got the chance to make better, healthier life choices in return for rewards such as money off their supermarket shopping. The city has been selected to exclusively pilot the Better Health Reward Scheme, designed to test whether offering rewards and incentives can help people to eat better and increase their physical activity levels. To get started, people aged 18 and over simply need to download the free Better Health Rewards app available from the App Store or Google Play, which they will then sync to their fitness tracker. If they haven't got a tracker, they can claim one for free, which will be delivered to their door. The app will generate personalised health goals for every participant, such as increasing their step count or eating more fruit and vegetables, with people able to earn points for completing challenges, which they can swap for rewards. There are thousands of rewards up for grabs in the Better Health Rewards app, including Aldi, Asda, Morrison, Sainsbury and Tesco vouchers, Pure Gym, Places Gym, Nuffield, WV Active and Complex gym passes. Gift cards for well-known retailers including Amazon, Argos, TK Maxx, the Wolves FC store and many more. Activities such as cinema tickets and family days out. Everyone can earn at least £40 of rewards by taking part in the app. Rewards are unlocked by completing challenges in the app. The app has a number of accessible options including the ability to change contrast levels and fonts, zoom in text and is compatible with speech recognition software and screen readers. Be quick though, you only have until March 31st to sign up. New powers for the West Midlands to control its housing, transport, employment and regeneration have been announced in a budget deal estimated to be worth more than £1.5 billion. West Midlands Mayor Andy Street said it was a monumental day for the region. The announcement in the budget means the West Midlands Combined Authority, WMCA, will get a single pot of funding from the government, which will give local leaders unparalleled control over spending on devolved areas, marking a seismic shift in power and influence from Whitehall to the West Midlands. The deal includes 100% business rates retention for 10 years, worth an estimated £450 million. A funding commitment to help expand the metro network, with an extra £60 million going towards extending the metro between Dudley Town Centre and Briarley Hill, create new railway stations and more bus and cycle lanes. A housing deal worth up to £500 million that should pave the way for additional brownfield regeneration and a faster programme of affordable homes. A move to expand high-speed broadband and get more people online. More help improving skills, careers and employment support for people across the West Midlands. 
devolution of the bus service operators grant and a new partnership with Great British Railways to offer greater control of public transport services. Up to six so-called levelling up zones, backed by 25 years business rate retention, worth an estimated £500 million to the region. The six levelling up zones that have been announced are East Birmingham, North Solihull, Wolverhampton Innovation Corridor, Walsall Growth Corridor, Dudley and Sandwell Metro Corridors, including the Wensbury to Briley Hill Link and the Coventry and Warwickshire Gigafactory Zone. The jubilation from the Conservatives over Wednesday's budget was met with derision from many Labour MPs, including Ladywood's Shabana Mahmood, who tweeted the government's economic failures were holding Britain back. Ian Ward, leader of Labour-controlled Birmingham City Council, said he broadly welcomed the devolution deal. This must be just the start of a long overdue transfer of powers and resources to our cities and regions to unlock growth and tackle the inequalities that hold too many people back, he said. A new service around bereavement support has been set up by a city palliative care charity. Compton Care is opening two new bereavement information hubs to support local people dealing with the loss of a loved one taking place at New Cross Hospital's Heart and Lung Centre and out of hours at the charity's own site in Compton, the hubs provide a safe space where people who have experienced loss can come together to share their stories. Compton Care already run bereavement information hubs virtually and in several locations across the city and the new hubs have been introduced in response to feedback and will allow new audiences to access this support. Karen Evans, Business and Partnership Development Manager at Compton Care, said everybody's experience of grief is different, but many find that talking can help. These peer support groups allow you to speak freely about your loved one and your experience of grief with others who understand firsthand how you might feel and without judgment. Taking place in new locations and at a range of times to meet the needs of the community, we are hoping that our new hubs will allow even more people in Wolverhampton to access bereavement support as and when they need it. The New Cross Hospital Bereavement Information Hub launched last Friday and takes place in the seminar room of the Heart and Lung Centre on the second Friday of every month between 10.15am and 11.45am with parking subsidised for those attending the hub. The out-of-hours sessions take place at The Space at Compton Care in Compton from Saturday, April 1st and are held on the first Saturday of every month at 10am to 11.30am and the first Monday of every month from 6pm to 7.30pm. The hubs are free to attend and open to all and there is no need to book onto the hubs. For more information and to find out more, call Compton's Advice and Referral Line on 01902 774 570. Up next, we hear from Helen, who of course has for us the Beacon Update. Hi everyone, it's Helen from Beacon and I'm back with your weekly update. And I'm starting this week with some exciting news. Our popular tandem bike sessions will be restarting next month after their winter break. We're getting back in the saddle on Monday, April 17th, weather permitting, of course, for a ride around Bobington in South Staffordshire. We'll provide the bikes and experienced lead riders who can support you. To book your place, call 01902 880 111 or email inquiries at beaconvision.org. Now, we We are so excited to tell you that our Easter raffle is back. See what I did there? Yep, a super-sized chocolate egg that stands one metre tall could be yours to tuck into at Easter and beyond, I think. Probably last me all year, although I am a big chocolate fan. Tickets are just £1 and can be purchased in any of our seven shops or online at Just Giving. And that's www.justgiving.com forward slash page forward slash Beacon Easter Raffle 2023. I'll give you that again. It's www.justgiving.com forward slash page forward slash Beacon Easter Raffle. As well as being in with a chance of winning an extra special prize, you'll also help ensure that nobody has to face sight loss alone. So hop to it and get your ticket today. 
Right, I'll leave the jokes there, I think, this week. So it officially became spring on Monday. That's the 20th of March. I think someone needs to tell the weather, though. But if you're going to use that this weekend, perhaps have a spring clean at home, then don't forget you can donate your good quality homeware, furniture and clothing to Beacon and help us ensure that no one faces sight loss alone. We can even collect your furniture from your home if needed. Head to our website, www.beaconvision.org to find your nearest shop or give us a call on 019. 0-2-8-8-0-1-1-1. That's it for this week. I'll be back again soon. Cheers that update, Helen. Up now, we're our next block of local news. And starting this one off, we first hear Christine. Thousands of people will gather for big screen airings of the King's coronation that will be the crowning glory of celebrations in the region. More than 30 locations have been chosen to host big screens showing the coronation of King Charles III on May 6th. In town centres, parks and streets, there will also be a mixture of events for people of all ages to celebrate. Residents have also been invited to apply for permits to close their roads for street parties. The giant screens will be set up at Himley Hall, Dudley, Sandwell Valley Showground and Centenary Square, Birmingham. A Wolverhampton Council spokesperson said, As a city, we want to build on the success of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations, where we supported many community-led celebrations with a council-funded grant scheme. This year, we want even more communities to come together to celebrate and mark this momentous occasion, and we are one of the only local authorities in the region to launch a £25,000 coronation celebration grant scheme which offers community and resident groups the opportunity to apply for up to £250 to fund activities and events. So far, even though there's still over a month to go until the closing date, we've had 91 applications from across the city. This community-led programme is going to be supported by a programme of celebratory events in our libraries, art gallery and at Bantock Park, as well as plans to give our city and town centre a coronation celebratory vibe with kilometres of bunting being put up for the event. Sparks will fly and steam will roar as the Black Country Living Museum celebrates a night of industrial heritage. Famously described as black by day and red by night, the black country played a pivotal role in the Industrial Revolution and Britain's national story. To celebrate this legacy, the museum in Dudley will be opening its doors after hours for its red by night event on March 24th and 25th for an atmospheric evening of live entertainment, industrial demonstrations, steam action and living history. Visitors can discover what it was like to live in one of Britain's most heavily industrialised landscapes. They can hear the sound of hammers clanging and watch demonstrations of centuries-old techniques skillfully crafting chains, nails and even anchors. The mighty anchor forge will be in full steam, with its one-ton hammer smashing into metal with a thunderous roar. People can discover the Newcomen engine house and find out about Thomas Newcomen and his ingenious invention. There will be an array of road-based steam engines, large and miniature, as well as fire-breathing entertainers and live music. Tickets cost from £8. For more information or to book online, visit bclm.com. Come Dine With Me is looking for contestants from the black country. For those who fancy themselves as an expert entertainer or keen culinarian, this might be right up your street, assuming you don't mind strangers snooping around your bedroom. Come Dine With Me is coming to Birmingham and producers are on the lookout for fun residents. Casting has now started for Birmingham contestants as well as anyone who lives 45 to 50 minutes away by car, which includes Wolverhampton, Dudley, the whole of the Black Country and even parts of Staffordshire. The show will see five days of dinner parties hosted by five contestants competing for a prize of £1,000. Anyone interested in taking part can apply. Now it's time to test your knowledge as we have the quiz questions for this edition and they're brought to us by Mina. Hello and welcome to this week's Flashback Quiz. All the answers you need can be found later in Flashback Rogers' Did You Know feature. But for now, these are your questions. Here we go. Question 1. 
What are the makers of ladies' hats called? Question two. In Tudor, England, what would happen if you failed to wear a woolen cap on Sundays? Question three. How many pleats are there in a tall chef's hat? Question four. Why were London's taxis originally made so tall? Question five. What caused hat makers of old to be said to be mad? And finally, question six. What colour hard hats do safety inspectors wear? I will be back with you later with the answers, but for now, best of luck. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another feature from the Electoral Services at Wolverhampton Council, detailing the changes and support that will be available at polling stations for the forthcoming elections in May. Hello, I'm Chris Lightwood, Electoral Services Apprentice at the City of Wolverhampton Council. And I'm Laura Noonan, Electoral Services Manager. We're going to tell you about the elections taking place in May and the improvements we are making in polling stations to ensure that people affected by sod loss are aware of the support available to help make your mark on the ballot paper. We will also cover the voting options available to you and the deadline dates to apply for postal and proxy votes. On Thursday the 4th of May 2023, There will be local elections taking place in Wolverhampton, where all 60 councillor seats are up for election, following the local government boundary review. And these elections are also the first elections to be held under the new measures that have been brought in by the Election Act, which introduces the requirement to show photo ID in a polling station and to also make polling stations more accessible for people with disabilities. So to vote in a polling station, you will now need to bring an acceptable form of ID, such as a passport or driving licence. If you do not have an acceptable form of ID, you can apply for a free voter ID document known as a voter authority certificate. If you need assistance applying for a voter authority certificate in person, there are daily drop-in sessions taking place at Wolverhampton Civic Centre between 10am and 3pm on weekdays. And a full list of acceptable ID and further information about applying for a voter authority certificate can be found on our website at www.wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash elections. If you choose to vote in person at the polling station, there's a range of support available to you. All of the key signage in the polling station will now be printed on a yellow background, black text to make it more accessible. The slot on the ballot paper will have white stickers around it to make it more visible. You can also request additional lighting from polling staff. If you have difficulty completing the standard print ballot paper, you can request the use of a tactile voting device to help mark your vote in the correct place. The tactile voting device has a sticky backing which attaches on the top of your ballot paper. It has numbered lift-up flaps directly over the boxes where you mark your vote. The numbers are raised and in braille. You can request the use of a large print ballot form from the polling station as a guide to follow or ask someone to read out the lists of candidates to you. This can be a companion or polling station staff. The candidates are in alphabetical order. You will need to remember the number of the candidate you wish to vote for. Then lift the flap with the same number and mark your cross in the box. You can then detach the tactile device and fold your ballot paper in half before posting it in the ballot box. Seeing AI apps or video magnifying glasses can also be used in polling stations as a reasonable adjustment in the Equality Act. Please inform the presiding officer in the polling station if you will be using these before you go to the polling booth. We will be training all of our polling station staff on these apps so that they are fully informed on how best to support you in the polling station. If you would prefer to bring a companion with you to assist in voting as opposed to receiving assistance from a member of staff at the polling station, this is also possible. Your companion must either be a close relative who is aged 18 years or over, or a qualified elector. The voter should ask the permission of the presiding officer to be assisted by their companion. The companion, not the voter, is required by law to complete a simple declaration called Declaration to be made by the companion of a voter with disabilities. The companion should fill out the declaration and sign the document. If requested, polling staff can also assist you with marking your ballot paper. Now going to finally move on to cover some key dates for this election. So firstly, if you are not already registered to vote, the easiest way to register to vote is online at gov.uk forward slash register to vote. Or if you live in Wolverhampton, 
you can call our office and register over the phone on 01902 There are a number of ways to have your say. You can vote in the polling station by post or by appointing somebody you trust to vote on your behalf, known as a proxy vote. The deadline to apply to vote by post is Tuesday the 18th of April at 5pm and the deadline to vote by proxy is Tuesday the 25th of April at 5pm. To download the forms to vote by post or proxy, please visit our website, wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash elections. Alternatively, you can contact us to request a form be posted out to you on 01902 551177, or you can email us at electoral.services at wolverhampton.gov.uk. If you are unable to make your signature on the postal vote application form due to a disability, then you can contact us to request a signature waiver. And finally, you can find out more about all of this on our website at wolverhampton.gov.uk forward slash elections. Thank you. Time now for our latest edition of Sight Loss Tips, provided by the charity InfoSend. For further details on any of the items and practical information in this bulletin, you can also contact Beacon's team of Sight Loss Advisors on 01902 880 and that number again, 01902 880 News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Hello and welcome to edition 6 of Info Shorts from InfoSound, a brief bulletin of practical information to help living with sight loss. And in this edition, full-sleeved heat-resistant oven gloves, making computers accessible, organising banknotes when out and about, and tailored holidays for vision-impaired people. And we start with information about a household item that you may well find is sold in the high street, but which is also available from RNIB. It's a pair of full-sleeved heat-resistant oven gloves, which are heat-resistant to dry contact heat up to 250 degrees Celsius or 482 Fahrenheit. They're described as soft, non-allergenic and suitable for right and left-hand use. They actually have two layers. The inner glove controls the fit, while the outer glove absorbs the heat. And RNIB says that unlike oven mittens, because your fingers are free to move, you get a more secure grip. Also, the extra length, which is 39 centimetres from fingertip to cuff, helps to protect the wrists, they say. These gloves are machine washable and as one of several safety points that RNIB makes about using them, they say that they're not suitable as protection against steam or hot liquid spillage. InfoSound Now, you may well be aware that there are three clusters of raised dots in the top left-hand corner of banknotes to help blind and partially sighted people identify the value of the note. The £10 note has four raised dots in a square pattern repeated once below, so two squares in total. The £20 note has the same pattern but repeated twice in a downward row, so three squares in total. The £50 note has the same pattern repeated three times in a downward row, so four squares in total. Total, and the £5 note is distinguishable because it doesn't have any of these tactile features. Well, this time our handy tip from Anita Plant, Rehabilitation Officer and Low Vision Advisor at the national charity The Partially Sighted Society, concerns a way to easily identify those banknotes when you're out and about. And Anita, I think this doesn't actually involve feeling those raised dots on the notes. Yes, my tip today is just a way of identifying them for yourself when you've got them in your wallet or your purse. So what I'm suggesting to people is before they leave home, they go through the notes that they're taking out with them that day and then just have a simple folding technique for each note. So if you've got a £20 note, for example, you fold that in half and you put that in your wallet so that you know that the note that's folded in half is a £20 note. If you've got a £10 note, instead of folding it in half from left to right, you could fold it horizontally from top to bottom and pop that in your wallet. And a £5 note, you leave unfolded. So instead of sort of like pulling out the note and just trying to feel, is that this and is that that? If you've organised yourself before you go out and you've popped them in your wallet, you know exactly which note is which and in what compartment it is if you've got different compartments in your wallet. 
but you can also just quickly identify them by just feeling where the fold is if it's not folded in the case of something like a five pound note and i don't know if it's just me but i find the new plastic notes good that they are i sort of feel that they want to stick together a bit more so i guess by doing this before you go out identifying the notes separating the notes you can't get more than one note joined together yeah absolutely absolutely and it saves you sort of you know if you're in a shop environment and perhaps there are people behind you becoming flustered and you know which node is which and so on and it can get a bit frustrating so this way you've kind of organized yourself beforehand and you've got quite a simple way to quickly identify the notes some people find that it works quite well for them that's great advice thanks very much anita thank you info sound And finally, for now, there's a holiday company called C-Able, which provides accessible tailored holidays for blind and partially sighted people, individually and in groups. And they run holidays for vision impairment-related charities as well. Their tailored holidays, for example, include breaks in Rome, Naples, Florence and Bologna in Italy, on Sicily, in Slovenia and Thailand, and coming soon, holidays here in the UK. They use the services of local trained assistants at all of their holiday destinations and they say they can provide tailored activities to suit the needs of those holidaying and their particular level of sight and mobility. So with that, we come to the end of this sixth edition of the InfoShorts Bulletin from InfoSound. We hope you can join us next time and thanks for listening. News and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. Coming up next on this week's edition of the Black Country Talking News, we have another block of local news. One of the Black Country's largest ancient woodlands has been sealed off from the public while contractors deal with 42 trees which have been hit by a devastating disease which is killing trees across the country. Alder Coppice Nature Reserve in Dudley has been closed to allow for the removal of 32 ash trees which have been hit by ash dieback disease. A further 10 trees are being cut back by contractors employed by Dudley Council at the 25-acre site in the hope that they can recover over time. Alder Coppice off Northway Sedgley is one of the 142 ancient woodlands in the West Midlands and one of just 10 covering more than 20 acres. Ash dieback is a fungus that spreads quickly through the air with the wind carrying spores of bacteria. The spores settle on the tops of the ash trees and corrode the trees from the top down, also weakening their structure. A programme to plant more than 100 native trees is planned for later this year to help replenish areas where the trees have been removed. The council has been working closely with the Friends of Alder Coppice. Councillor Damon Caulfield, Cabinet Member for Highways and Environment, said the coppice would remain closed while work to remove the trees continued. Councillor Patrick Harley, leader of Dudley Council, said ash dieback was a national issue affecting trees all over the country. We simply have no choice but to do this work to protect and preserve the green space and maintain public safety. We will replant native trees at the coppice at a ratio of 3 to 1 to help replenish the tree population. Chairman of the Friends of Alder Coppice, Simon Biggs, said the group has been working with the council to ensure the replanting programme remains a priority after the work is complete, protecting the reserve for future generations. Community volunteers and schoolchildren put their spades into action to help plant trees to create an ecological legacy to mark the region's Commonwealth Games. More than 7,000 saplings have so far been planted across the Black Country as part of a project led by utility firm Seven Trent Water to develop a carbon-neutral corridor. The latest mission saw work carried out at sites of seven acres off Monmer Lane near Shortheath in Woollen Hall and at Ashmore Park in Wensfield, Wolverhampton, bringing the total acreage of the Commonwealth Forest to 148, with more than 104,000 trees planted at sites across the Midlands. Balbia Seymour, who took part in the planting day, said, It's a great initiative and it's wonderful to see Seven Trent taking the lead with tree planting. I was pleased to hear when I found out that they were doing this. The forests will also help to oxygenate the air and keep us healthy, which is why I decided to sign up and come along. 
Last year, Seven Trent pledged to provide 2,022 acres for the forest, bringing urban communities in the Midlands closer to nature, and it planted 72 tiny forests. The company's senior environmental engagement manager, Miranda de Freston, said, "We're passionate about making a positive impact on the communities and the environment where we live and operate. So we were delighted to see customers join us in planting trees across these two sites. These new spaces are about creating an incredible legacy where nature can thrive and flourish." What's good for nature is good for water, and as the trees mature, they will help store carbon that has been generated from the games, increasing biodiversity and reducing flood risks. I'd like to thank everyone who came to our planting days. By the end of this planting season, we hope to have added over 300 acres to our Commonwealth forest through a mix of community and non-community planting days, which will bring us closer to our 2022. Acre commitment. Black Country Animal Sanctuary Broxwood Animal Rescue have saved a platinum fox, now known as Toby, from terrible conditions, which left him riddled with mange and suffering from face lacerations. He was also starving, and his mate had heartbreakingly passed away, leaving Toby on his own. But now Toby has found his forever home at the Sedgley Animal Rescue and is getting on well with Broxwood's other resident fox, Freya. Their relationship has left Broxwood's staff with tears in their eyes, watching the adorable pair snuggle up and play together. A member of the team at Broxwood said, "It's a pleasure to introduce you to our new friend, Toby." He needed a lot of initial treatment and TLC, but he eventually started to heal. As he healed, it became clear that he needed a safe, new, forever home where he would never have to worry about such neglect again. We had high hopes that we might be able to introduce him to Freya, and that a new friendship might form with a new start for both of them. You'll be pleased to hear the introduction was an almost instant success. Toby instantly started investigating his new home, and Freya was very excited to meet him. There was a settling-in period over the next couple of days, where she established that she would be in charge as she got used to the idea that he was obviously moving in for good. And since they've got along really well, we've watched with tears in our eyes as they have happily snuggled up together, played, and even happily shared food. The one thing we were concerned may cause squabbles, especially as Toby is very food-motivated after being starved for so long in the past. Broxwood is now fundraising for a new enclosure for the pair, which they estimate will cost more than three thousand pounds. For more information on the project and to donate, go to broxwood.org.uk/foxhomeproject. Up now, it's trivia time. Brought to us by Flashback Roger and his Did You Know feature. Again, everyone, I've been trolling my way through the internet libraries for unusual topics to investigate and share this week. And this week, I've landed on H for hat. So, did you know that those who supply men's hats are called hatters, while those who supply women's hats are called milliners? The term milliner comes from the Italian city of Milan, where the best quality hats were made in the 18th century. Millinery was traditionally a woman's occupation, with a milliner not only creating hats and bonnets, but also choosing lace, trimmings, and accessories to complete the outfit. <coughs> the humble flat cap can be traced back to medieval England, and was even the subject of Tudor sumptuary laws. In an attempt to spur on the wool trade, an act of Parliament was instituted in 1571, decreeing that all males over six years old, except for the nobility, Had to wear a wool cap on Sundays and holidays, with a penalty of a fine if they refused. White tall chef's hats traditionally have a hundred pleats to represent hundreds of ways an egg can be prepared. They were invented by cuisine inventors Marie Antoine Carême and Auguste Escoffier as a method of establishing hierarchy in the kitchen. And it's said that when John Hetherington wore one of the first top hats in 1797 in the streets, he was arrested for scaring the people. He ended up in court and paid fifty pounds sterling as a fine. 
and London black taxis are made so tall that a gentleman can ride in them without taking off his top hat. In the past, the process of making felt involved the use of mercury, which is toxic, and prolonged exposure can cause damage to the nervous system, tremors and dementia in those who worked in that hat-mating trade of a long ago. So that's why we get the phrase, as mad as a hatter. Colours of hard hats can have a meaning, and are used to distinguish in roles on construction sites and in for safety reasons in factories. White hard hats are worn by supervisors or engineers, blue ones worn by technical advisors, and safety inspectors wear green hard hats. Yellow ones are for labourers, while orange is reserved for new workers or visitors. There's a lot more to the humble tit for that I ever imagined, that's for sure. At least I know now why I'm often accused of being as mad as a hatter. I must have been a felt hat maker in the past life, hadn't I? In road up, I'm off. I'm going to have me a cuppa. Still without a biscuit that I've given up for Lent, I'll have you know, but only a couple of weeks to go till Easter, eh? Jaffa cakes don't count though, do they? Till next week then, I'll say bye for now. Ta-ra a bit. Ta-ra! Up now, we have to hear what the weather has in store for us. Brought to us, as always, by Mina. The weather for this week ahead is forecast to be rather unsettled, with a few brief sunny intervals, but plenty of showers. Thankfully, temperatures are forecast to remain mild, averaging around 12 degrees. UV levels are expected to remain low all week. The sunrise and sunset times are 6am for the sunrise and 6.30pm for the sunset. Friday 24th of March is forecast to be a mix of sunshine and light rain showers. Despite a moderate breeze, temperatures should reach a maximum of 12 degrees. The spell of wet weather is forecast to continue right through into the weekend. Temperatures over the weekend will continue to hold up though at 11 degrees. On to next week and it'll be a lot more of the same with our brollies being kept busy as it is forecast for rain to remain in the region on Monday 27th of March and continue right through to Thursday 30th of March. The showers are forecast to be persistent but should ease off at times with a possible sunny intervals breaking through. With the breeze easing off, temperatures should continue to hover around 14 degrees. So, that's your forecast for this week, and as always, enjoy the weather! Cheers for that weather update, Mina. Up now, it's time to find out how our local football teams have been getting on. With West Brom not playing this weekend, all eyes were on Molyneux, and it sure did not disappoint. In one of the most entertaining and eventful games of the season so far, for the neutral, Wolves are dragged right back into the relegation scrap after a poor 4-2 loss at home to Leeds. In a frantic start, the first opportunities of the game fell to Leeds, and after peppering attack after attack down Wolves' right-hand side, it only took six minutes for the away side to take the lead. The intensity didn't drop, and Wolves could, and in many eyes should, have had a penalty in the next phase of play, but were once again denied by the officials. After a clumsy tackle on Nelson Semedo, referee Michael Salisbury opted to let play continue. A brief VAR check did not see it as a clear and obvious error to overturn for a penalty. Leaving Julian Lopetegui drenched through from the squally spring conditions, Seething and his staff equally animated on the touchline. When it rains, it pours. Despite the sense of injustice, Wars reacted well to going behind and continued to dominate possession. The home side created numerous chances but a lack of cutting edge and continued inability to be clinical in front of goal frustrated the faithful as Wolves entered the half-time break losing 1-0. At the start of the second half, Lopetegui looked to push for a way into the game with Wolves making a host of changes. But it was to no avail, as in a similar fashion to the first half, Leeds scored a goal in the opening minutes of the second 45 and in a show of yet more dreadful defending, went on to make it 3-0 by the hour mark. Game over? Not quite. Wolves sparked into life. In a final throw of the dice, Lopetegui brought on Abdama Traore, who made an instant impact, causing havoc down the right. In the unlikeliest of fashions, fullback Johnny made up for his error for Leeds' third goal with a quite spectacular volley from almost 40 yards out. 
With the goalkeeper off his line, Johnny's superb first-time finish looped over him and into the roof of the net. The game was incredibly open as Wolves chased more goals. It was allowing for a great basketball-style spectacle. Wolves should have scored a second. Adama, the architect again, but predictably the forwards fluffed their lines. But in the 73rd minute, Brazilian Kuna fired in a deflected shot, and the Wolves striker curse was broken as a centre-forward finally scored a Premier League goal for the club the first time since March 10th, 2022. This momentum was soon checked though, as Johnny was then rightly given a straight red card for a very poor foul. The home crowd was buoyed by the announcement that it would be a seven minutes of added time, as Wolves looked for an equaliser, but instead the game descended into chaos. Rodrigo scored a fourth for Leeds, before a long VAR check to determine whether Adama had been fouled in the build-up. Wolves protested aggressively and referee Salisbury spent a long time checking the pitch side monitor before deciding to award the goal. Nunes, who never came on from the bench, was then given a straight red card for his protests. Wolves did not have time to get back into the game and fell to a 4-2 loss. Lopetegui took a long time to come out for his post-match interviews, but he was clearly left baffled by the decisions against his side as he took aim at the officials. It's not easy to analyse this match. A lot of things happened. Lopetegui said in a long rant after the game. But when you miss chances and suffer the only chance they had, it's much difficult, of course. We had a very clear penalty again, a very, very clear, but the referee and VAR fought the opposite. Maybe I don't understand my sport, but it was very, very clear. I could make a book of all the different mistakes. It's a pity for us, our fans, our club and our players, because we deserve the same respect as the rest of the teams in the Premier League. Have you done any good at the quiz this week? Well, now's the time to find out, as we have the quiz answers. Hello, and here are your answers for this week's flashback quiz. Feeling confident? How will you score? Let's see. Question one. What are the makers of ladies' hats called? And the answer? Milliners. Question two. In Tudor, England, what would happen if you failed to wear a woollen cap on Sundays? And the answer here is, you would be fined. Question three. How many pleats are there in a tall chef's hat? And the answer here is, a hundred. Question four. Why were London's taxi originally made so tall? And the answer here is, to accommodate the wearing of tall top hats. Question 5. What caused hat makers of old to be said to be mad? And the answer here is because prolonged exposure to mercury caused employers to develop a variety of physical and mental ailments. And finally, question 6. What colour hard hats do safety inspectors wear? And the answer, green ones. How did you get on? Did you get them all right? If not, not to worry, as I will be back next week to test you once again. Bye for now. Time now to pay a special tribute to local hero Tom Bruin, who sadly passed away last month, aged 97. Tom was one of the last surviving veterans of one of the Second World War's most famous battles, Operation Market Garden. Tributes from his family and previous interviews with local regional newspapers bring together a story of incredible bravery and courage. Alvin Bruin, a former sergeant in the Coldstream Guards, had served the entire duration of the First World War. So when his son Tom was captured by the Germans within days of landing in Arnhem, it was inevitable he would come in for a bit of stick. Tom Bruin, one of the last surviving veterans of Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery's ill-fated Operation Market Garden in September 1944, has died at the age of 97. His youngest son, Alan, paid tribute to his father, who he described as a gentleman and a scholar, a lovely, kind man. Ironically, Tom had actually been worried he would miss out on the action altogether when he went to offer his services at the Army Recruitment Office in Wolverhampton. I had just turned 18 and I hadn't had my call-up papers, he said during an interview with this newspaper in 2014. I thought the war was going to be finished before I got my foot in the door. I didn't want to be left out. 
The papers came soon enough, and when Montgomery launched his audacious plan to bring the war to a swift end, Tom couldn't wait to get started. Filled with the gung-ho bravado of youth, the young private in the 2nd South Staffordshire Regiment was bursting with excitement as he set off for the largest airborne operation of the war. We weren't afraid, we never gave it a moment's thought, we thought it was going to be a piece of cake, he says. We had seen so many operations cancelled, we were all pretty frustrated and we just wanted to get on with it. The operation, which became the subject of Richard Attenborough's epic war film, A Bridge Too Far, looked so simple on paper. The Allied invasion of Normandy had gone better than expected, and there seemed little to stop the forces sweeping through northern France and Holland as they headed towards Germany. Paratroopers and glider-based soldiers were to be dropped in Arnhem and the surrounding towns on the other side of the Rhine. They would take control of the bridges, opening the way for armoured road units to steam on towards Germany's industrial heartlands of the Ruhr. But things didn't go quite according to script. Tom, who grew up in Wolverhampton, felt relief and excitement when his glider finally took off from Manston Aerodrome near Margate. Tom landed at Wolf Highs, around six or seven miles northwest of Arnhem, around 2.30pm on September 17, 1944, and was told to stay put until the following morning, keeping the landing zone clear for other gliders. The following day, the instructions changed and the men were ordered to head for the main bridge at Arnhem. It was then that things started to go awry. We set off for Arnhem about 8am. It was a lovely day, Tom recalled, but it was too far. I don't know why we landed so far away. Allied intelligence had failed to pick up the fact that two German SS tank divisions were already based in the area, leaving the lightly armed airborne troops hopelessly outgunned. We got so far, probably within a couple of miles of the bridge, but we then had to turn back. We could see that the Germans were there, they were firing at us, and there was no way we could get through. They were redirected to Osterbeek, three miles west of Arnhem, but again their progress was blocked. The Germans were brilliant, he said. We had invaded on the Sunday, but by the Monday they were in all the right places to stop us. They knew we were after the bridge. A machine gun post was set up inside a house along the Arnhem-Osterbeek Road to cover the floodplain before coming under fire from German tanks. Tom's platoon took up position in the grounds of the old church, the Dutch Reformed Church in Osterbeek, on the Wednesday, but by this time, just three days after they had arrived brimming with confidence, it was obvious the game was up. The RAF had done its job, dropping food and other essential supplies, but because they had been obstructed, they were unable to reach the drop-off points. Most of them went to the Germans. We had very little food. I don't know how we managed to live for days and days without eating, but we just didn't think about it, Tom said. On Sunday night, Tom was ordered to head for the river, ready to be evacuated the following evening, but it was a hopeless task. There were about three or five hundred of us on the riverbank, but the boat could only carry ten at a time, he says. Some of the men decided to swim for it, but the current was so strong and I watched many of them drown. I decided I wasn't going to risk going into the river. The evacuation continued until dawn when the boat suddenly disappeared. I don't know whether the man in the boat abandoned us, or of course he could have been shot himself, said Tom. After that, there was nothing to do but wait for the Germans to arrive, and after just ten days, Tom's military adventure was over. We had a choice, pack up or get shot, he said. When we were captured, a couple of the Germans came into the warehouse where we were waiting, and they brought a field kitchen. They made us a potato soup, and it was beautiful. The best soup I had ever tasted. It was the first time I had eaten properly since leaving England. After being surrounded by the Germans, their captors marched them all the way to Arnhem to show their prisoners to the Dutch. It was their way of saying they weren't finished yet, he said. The British troops were interrogated before being loaded into cattle trucks at the railway station. They said they'd give us rations for 24 hours for a 17-hour journey, but we were on there for five days, added Mr Bruin. It was completely miserable. 
As a prisoner of war, he spent nearly eight months in prison camps, mostly in Czechoslovakia. He described the day of liberation in May 1945 as a complete anticlimax. It was a strange day. We woke up and all the guards had gone, he said. We presumed they'd just abandoned their posts. The Russians came past, but they had no food for us, so six of us decided to make a break for it and get to Allied lines. We made it and the Americans looked after us. Within a day, we were put on a plane to Belgium and then back to England. Of the 10,000 men who landed at Arnhem, nearly 2,000 were killed and 6,854 were taken prisoner. Tom married Annie in 1949 and the couple lived in the Penfields area of Wolverhampton and had four children. He worked as an electrician and spent 40 years with the MEB, rising to the rank of head foreman. He was a stalwart of Oakland's bowling club, representing them in local leagues playing bowls, dominoes, snooker and darts. He served as president of the club and even tried his hand working behind the bar, although son Alan said his most notable accomplishment was as the groundsman, maintaining one of the best greens in the area. Alan said gardening was another of his passions. Dad always had an allotment to relax in and escape from his four screaming children, he said. When we moved to Penfields, he secured an allotment on Jeffcock Road, which he maintained with his brother Al. He especially enjoyed growing different varieties of tomatoes, far too many for the family to consume, so ended up giving the majority away. He said Tom's eyesight deteriorated significantly about 10 years ago and subsequently he could not see and enjoy the labours of his love. So he passed on the management of the allotment to his daughter Anne and her husband Colin. Dad was always grateful for surviving the challenges of World War II when many of his colleagues didn't, he said. He was a friendly, generous and convivial gentleman who was deeply loved by his family and friends and will maintain a special place in the hearts of many. Dad was a gentleman and a scholar who embraced life and his loving family. Tom died on February the 2nd at Eversley Care Home in Albert Road, Wolverhampton after a short illness. He leaves sons John, Tom Jr and Alan and daughter Anne, as well as nine grandchildren, ten great-grandchildren and two great-great-grandchildren. His funeral will be held on March 23rd at St John's in the Square Church in Wolverhampton. Son Alan said he was expecting there to be a large turnout. So that's it for another edition of the Black Country Talking News. A reminder to our CD listeners who have received CDs in padded envelopes that you don't need to send anything back to us. If you have a sight loss tip or someone you would like to wish a happy birthday to, just say hello to. Maybe even a poem or talking book you would like reviewed, then please get in touch with us at the Beacon Centre. Call 01902 880 Email bctn at beaconvision.org or write to us at the Black Country Talking News, Beacon, Wolverhampton Road East, Wolverhampton, WV46AZ. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for listening and thank you to all our supporters, donators and volunteers who without their support will be unable to run this free service. Please note the information and views expressed in this recording does not necessarily represent the views of Beacon or Talking News and were accurate at the time of recording. Mentions of goods and services does not imply endorsement and whilst every care is taken to supply accurate information, Beacon and Talking News do not undertake liability for any errors. So it's goodbye from all of us. Stay safe, have a good week and we look forward to bringing you next week's edition of the Black Country Talking News. Ta-ra!